brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. The taco. We've all had one, but have you thought about where it came from? Taco City is an exploration of culture, history, and recipes from taqueros, chefs, and restauranteurs all over the world. Everything that goes into that taco on your plate. I'll show you where to find them. From fish tacos off the coast of Alaska, to Navajo tacos in the desert of New Mexico, carne asada from the heart of Los Angeles, and everywhere in between. Every week is a new culinary journey, discovering the origins of a food that you can find in every kitchen, town, state, and country, the taco. Welcome to Taco City. We got some exciting Taco City news at the end of the episode, so make sure you listen all the way through. Back in 1846, there was a bit of a dispute over the state of Texas. The United States claimed that it had annexed the state from Mexico, but Mexico argued that they still own the area between the Nueces River and the Rio Grande. Mexico President Mariano Paredes declared in his inaugural address that it belonged to them. And when this trickled down to US President James Polk, he decided to send some men down to the Rio Grande, which was kind of a jerk move. The U.S. decided, once they got down there, that they were going to cross the Rio Grande. Just before that happened, a report came out that two Mexican men were crossing the river towards them, one from below the camp and one upriver. So they sent 80 men in each direction to investigate. The troops that headed downriver didn't find anything, but the 80 men checking upriver ran into 1,600 Mexican troops, and they were overtaken pretty quickly. The leader of the U.S. squad, Captain Seth Thornton, was captured. He was eventually released in a prisoner exchange, but when word of the skirmish, called the Thornton Affair, got back to President Polk, he decided to use the incident to declare war on Mexico, and the Mexican-American War was born. What does this have to do with tacos? We're getting there. Just eight days after the war started, Jesse Little showed up in Washington, D.C. to offer President Polk some assistance. Little was an elder in the Mormon church, and the U.S. wasn't very welcoming to the church or its members, so Little offered up his men for service in the war. President Polk agreed, but only if it was a few hundred men. The Mormons had set up camp in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and Little went back and asked for volunteers for the war. I mean, it was good PR for the Mormon church, and the men were being paid, so it was kind of a win-win. You know, except for the people die in war part. So they made the long journey from Iowa to Los Angeles, dipping into Mexico near the Arizona-New Mexico border. Although many of the men were lost to disease along the 2,000-mile trek, they miraculously didn't see any action on the trip, except for a herd of wild cattle in Arizona that charged the wagons, causing injuries, and they were forced to shoot 15 of the cattle and sarcastically named the battle the Battle of the Bulls. The Mormons had different guides depending on where they were when they were doing their march. For instance, when they reached New Mexico, they were guided by Jean-Baptiste Charbonneau, who, as a baby, traveled with his mother, Sacagawea, who was with two guys named Lewis and Clark. 
Anyway, the Mormon battalion marched all the way to San Diego and spent five months there before they were discharged in Los Angeles in 1847. Most of the men settled in the city of L.A., and the captain at the time, Jesse D. Hunter, was put in charge of protecting ranchos and missions and given some land. That land, which originally belonged to the Tongvin Indians, belonged to Hunter until his death, and in 1882 became Cypress Park. And 100 years after that, it was home to one of the most important chefs in Los Angeles, Chef Ray Garcia of Broken Spanish and B.S. Tacadilla. If you follow the L.A. food scene at all, you'll know who Chef Ray is. Heck, just glance at the Broken Spanish Instagram page. The food he creates is a work of art. You almost feel bad eating it. Almost. I've been a fan of B.S. Tacadilla for years. It's actually in the Taco City book, and Chef Ray has been interviewed by most of the journalistic food world. So when I reached out and he said he'd love to be on the show, I was excited because I have so much respect for what he's done in the city of Los Angeles, both as a chef and as a native Angelino. And since this podcast is called Taco City, I can't not mention the tacos at B.S. Tacadilla, and I've tried them all. The carnitas taco, which is duroc pork, pinto beans, avocado salsa, and pico de gallo, is something that you have to experience to understand just how perfect it is. There are seven other tacos on the menu, and I suggest that you order one of each and split them with someone because every single one of them is excellent. Or if you're me, you just order all eight and you eat all eight. I sat down this summer at Broken Spanish one morning before they opened for the day, and a big shout out to Dara for setting up and facilitating the interview. Chef Ray Garcia and I talked food and culture in the city of Los Angeles, and the first thing I asked him was about his earliest food memory. Yeah, I think it's 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 sort of like a, a reoccurring, I guess, food memory. It's, it's just more of the, the smell of my, my grandmother's kitchen. Uh, yeah, the smell of, of toasted uh, chilies, or you know, on their way to to burning and and choking you <laughs> uh, if you're anywhere in the in the home. Right. And if you've been around cooking cooking chilies, it's you know, it starts off pleasant, but but very quickly can uh, get a little little out of control if you uh, inhale too much. So I, I think I, I, I've, I've like you know, I look at that that whole memory, and I'm just sort of focused on that that sweet spot of the of the chili cooking, where it's at it's you know. Most most pleasant, you know, it's it, it's earthy and it's unlocking, you know, some of those those oils, but uh, nobody's feeling pain yet. Because Chef Garcia is a native Angelino, uh, was born and raised in Los Angeles. I want to know how the city of Los Angeles itself affects the flavors that he uses and the recipes that he cooks. You know, I, I think it's it's just so much embedded in me and, and in the, the the DNA that I don't really think of, about it. I don't think of something as normal or, or not normal, traditional or, or not traditional. I just kind of see, and maybe that's more of the, the, the chef approach is, you know, if I have access to it, then I'm, I'm, I'm curious about it and I incorporate it into in, into my, my cooking. So I don't know if that's specific to, you know, my, my growing up in LA, but I think it's one of the benefits of, of being in, in LA or, or a city kind of as diverse because not only are the, you know, there's just a, a huge range of, of ingredients, but there's what, what you're eating, what you're seeing, what you're smelling, who you're having a conversation with. 
you know, my, my opening sous chef for Broken Spanish was, was Filipino. My, my um, opening um, chef de cuisine for Top Korea was Taiwanese, and they brought their own approach. And so we're, we're, we're looking at creating tacos or creating, you know, this, this Mexican food, but it's filtering through so many different layers and, and lenses that, you know, are not only my, my own, but the, but the people who I'm, I'm, you know, collaborating with. Chef Ray uh, gets a lot of his influence from his grandmother um, and growing up with his grandmother's cooking. Um, and the way that she uses ingredients um, affected the way that he uses ingredients now. I read a, a cool thing that you said once about how you you use your grandmother's recipes, but you take the things that you have available to you versus the things that maybe she had available to her. And you're like, if she had these things available, then she might've done this. Um, because I have them, I'm going to do this with the recipe and like change the recipe and morph it. Um, I think it's it's cool that you, you use your surroundings to change what you're gonna do. Right, I, I think, you know, to, to reference, you know, my, my, my grandmother or mother or other, you know, sort of cooks who, who influenced me or I saw when I was growing up is that they were they, they were resourceful. They had what they you know, they had what they had to to make a, a good meal for you know for themselves or, or, or their family. And you know, there was sincerity and there was warmth and there was love in it. Um, you know, but now as a, as a chef, I think I have you know, not only an opportunity but a kind of a responsibility to. To take it to that to that next level of you know what is it that I'm able to to, to do based off of ingredients and, and techniques that are, are now available to me. I asked Chef Ray what what moments in his life culinarily changed the way that he viewed cooking and food. Um, for him, it was when he went to college. Um, it had a lot to do with his college roommate. Yeah, I mean, there was there there was a few moments. I think going to to college was one of the biggest shifts for me and and you know seeing a, a whole new a whole new world um, and and I think it, it it started by taking me out of my comfort zone with with Mexican food and then you know finding comfort and you know the ability to, to cook and, and enjoy food that brought me back full circle but you know when I went to when I grew up and where I grew up it was almost entirely you know um, Mexican, if not entirely, you know, Latin American, you know, the, the, the neighborhood started off, you know, almost everybody being that I knew being Mexican. And, oh, there's a few Salvadorians or Guatemalan. Mm -hmm. And same thing with my, with, with, with my elementary school, junior high, high school. So when I went to, to college, UCLA, it was the first time that there was this diversity and, and not only in, you know, in, in friends and people and experiences, but in, in food. So, you know, I'd had bad versions of steak or bad versions of pasta, right. you know, like it's just <laughs> Italian food, but you know, it was Olive Garden or whatever. Um, and so when I when I met my, my college roommate who was, uh, he's Japanese or Japanese American and his parents owned a, a sushi bar and uh, well still do. And and he was a, a, a big, big foodie, you know, and so he would have, you know, just these, he'd cook these elaborate meals in, in, our, in our apartment later on, but he was the one who, took me out for dinner and I experienced things like guacara, I experienced sushi, I experienced all these things that were just completely foreign to me and, and, and it kind of opened my, my eyes to, to the thought that there was something to food, something interesting beyond just you know, eating, not being hungry anymore. And there was, there, there was skill, there was craft, there was you know, passion behind it and, and it, was, it was something that kind of, I guess, 
made me a little bit more curious to go further. I grew up in a, you know, in a world that was sort of absent of, of, of I guess, for variety and all these interesting food experiences that, that, that were out there. And, you know, I, I understood that we didn't, you know, it wasn't something that we had the resources or the access to, but, you know, when, when, I, when I did have that opportunity for myself, it was just, it was exciting to, to kind of get out there. I think it's sort of like if you grow up and, you know, your, your parents would hold, this is this is junk food. You know, you can. I want to have <laughs> yeah. this every day. Like, I can go to college and eat pizza every day of, of my life. Like this is, this is sugary crazy. cereal, all the yeah. things that you're bringing. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it was. It was kind of like, oh my god, I never had foie. I want to eat foie gras all the time. Like I want to have sushi all the. You know, now is that realistic? Probably. Right. For a number of reasons, probably <laughs> probably not. But it's just that you know when you when you first kind of see what's behind that that curtain, you just you want you want more. And from there, Raid started to cook on his own. And as he put it, um, cooking's like a puzzle and you're trying to find the right pieces to put together to um, make the right things. It was something where I didn't, I didn't think of until after, after the fact. I think it wasn't until I was, in, I was in college and I started to you know, live on my own and I had to figure out how to feed myself that I really mm -hmm. started thinking about, about food and what to cook and asking you know, how to make certain, certain dishes. Um, but I think those were most of my, my, my food memories where, you know, the, the actual act of cooking was, was interesting to, to me. Um, it was sort of like a puzzle, kind of putting it to, to, together, very hands-on, you know, like building things. So this was, this was sort of, they followed in that, in that line of like looking at a, at a recipe, trying to perfect it, and then, you know, moving on into, you know, how can I put my, my, my own spin, my own personality, in it, I started with um, cooking for dummies, just literally page by page. I mean, and it is really literally cooking for dummies. At least how to boil water, how to hold a knife, how to do all these things. But you know, it, it was it was enough to kind of get that that ball rolling and, and being able to, I guess, driving my, my curiosity in the direction that I wanted to take it. So Ray has two separate restaurants. There's Broken Spanish and there's BS Taqueria. And you can literally walk from one to the other. They're just around the corner from each other in downtown LA. Um, BS Taqueria is a much is the taco place. It's a place you go for lunch, um, for tacos, or for a quick drink or a quick bite. Broken Spanish is a sit-down um, restaurant with, both of them have amazing food. Broken Spanish has much more um, dinner-style dishes, and they're only open for dinner during the week. So I asked Ray about opening both restaurants at the same time, which is what happened to him, if it was planned or if it just happened to work out that way. It was in my, my plans to open up two restaurants, but I, I, I envisioned a two or three year gap in between, <laughs> not a two or three month. Uh, but you know, the opportunity presented itself. So we started with the idea of broken Spanish. Um, and then when a second space became available you know, at the same time and actually ended up opening first in the Taqueria, mm -hmm. um, it was just an opportunity that I that I couldn't pass and, and pass up. And it's just kind of my personality to, I think, to, to take on to take on more to, to push myself. Um, and it was definitely a, a push. So the restaurants have a lot of similarities, but they're also very different at the same time. So I wanted to know. Um, in, in Ray's opinion, what what the differences between the two are, how he um, looked at the two restaurants. 
Personally, I feel like BS Taqueria is the place you go to lunch and Broken Spanish is the place you go out for a nice dinner. Um, and if you're me, you would do those in the same day. Yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, they definitely have a shared DNA. Um, and you know, they, they have their own way of expressing themselves and culinary vision. You know, and it's interesting that, that you say, you know, that maybe it's, you start at the taqueria and come to Broken Spanish. And I think it depends on, on the, on the person and their comfort level or their exposure to to tacos. Sometimes I'll tell people, well, go to you know, go to go to Broken Spanish first. You know, get an idea of what mm -hmm. it is that we're that we're trying to do, and then maybe the taqueria will make a little bit more sense, or you know, you could appreciate it a little bit more. Um, and then some people, I said, well, start off with start off with the taqueria, you know, and you'll get to see like a, a sneak peek of what you'll get at at Broken Spanish because there's not. Yeah, the, the masa is the same. Our corn source is still, you know, a, a non-GMO, you know, heirloom mm -hmm. corn. You know, at, at Vulture Tea, is the foundation of, of the restaurant, of the really of the, you know, of the of food and culture and civilization. But you know, of the two restaurants, you kind of have that 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 shared um, ingredient and shared importance of you know, technique and sourcing and everything else. I talked to the chef about how people often have preconceived notions about Mexican food, what they think it is um, versus what what it, it really is and what it can be. And I asked him how he overcame those when people come into the restaurant. You know, I'm trying to introduce, you know, and a new, you know, maybe not necessarily new, but a, you know, a, a different approach and, and highlight Mexican cuisine, Mexican food in a way that is, that is, you know, maybe outside of what people are, are are used to. I think, you know, what we think of, you know, well, depends on how much Mexican food, you know, you're exposed to growing up or, or where you grow up. Sometimes it's just rice and beans and cheese, you know, and a, you know, a giant hubcap size plate of, of food. <laughs> and that's your idea of what Mexican food is, or it's, it's, it, it's spicy or oh, I eat too many chips and salsa so I don't feel good that you know the next day and it's, and it's so much more than, than, than that I mean there's 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 it can be delicate it can be complex it can be creative it can be interesting and, and these are all things that you know on one side we're tr trying to, to to highlight and to, to showcase and then the other is I think there there is a preconceived notion of Mexican food and I think just Ethnic food in, in general sometimes gets this rap as that it. it's you know it's, it's it's cheap or it's under it's undervalued and it's under appreciated. You know, there's yes, there are plenty of places to get a, a taco for a dollar and sometimes less. <laughs> yeah, less <laughs> Although you should be questioning but why should, the taco is less well, than a dollar, and that's why I always say is you know you should. I know why my taco is four dollars. You should wonder why yours is a dollar or seventy five cents because there is an actual cost of doing business there is a cost of you know owning and operating a a, a restaurant and providing a, a a service and a level of, of ingredient that you're probably not getting for you know 50 cents a taco right when doing my research on chef Ray garcia and bs taqueria before the interview i found out that bs taqueria had a bologna taco on the menu when he first opened and i wanted to ask Chef Ray about that and about the popularity of the taco in Los Angeles um, and how he feels like that affects um, Mexican food and um, the restaurant scene and the food that he makes. Well, I think that the, the popularity and the idea of the, the taco has definitely 
grown and and if not officially unofficially in LA sort of adopted it as its as its food that re- I think represents Los Angeles you know make more than a, a burger or, or right. a slice of, of pizza um, but but with that comes you know, I think a lot of baggage and a lot of expectation of what a taco is and what a taco isn't what is authentic what is what is not what is affordable what is expensive what is you know what is cheap so it's it's sort of a, a, a double-edged sword I think with that you said in an interview that food needs to be three things comfortable recognizable and craveable mm-hmm. and all three of that fits all three of those if you think about it um, when you're when you're creating new stuff now do you do you still keep that same motto in mind when you're yeah, I think that's that's something, you know, whether it's it's me or I'm talking to you know, my, my, my sous chefs who are, you know, we're all coming up with, with ideas. You know, I guess for people to connect. Like it doesn't it doesn't have to have to be that. Um, but I think when you have those, that's when people can can connect to it, you know, because you could have a good good plate of of, of food, you can have amazing dining experience, but if too much has to go into thinking about what you're eating or let me explain to you how how you have to enjoy this I think it misses out on something where you're like oh this is a you know this is a carrot I like carrots or I don't like carrots but it's like it's I understand it and it tastes good and it is it is delicious and you know we I think for for what we're what we're doing you know we don't think so we don't hit you with the preaching about what is so special about it like we want to have you say, oh, it's a taco, it's carnitas, I've had carnitas before, and then you taste mm-hmm. it, you go, shit, this is, this is, this is different, or there's something unique or, or special, and even if you don't realize it, maybe you, like, okay, that was a good taco, and then you come back a few times, and then you eat a different carnitas taco somewhere else, and you go, wait, wait, that's, that's not what I had last week at P.S. Taqueria, so I think it's, it, it, sometimes it, for different people, it takes some, some time, you know, but if we're kind of, I guess recalibrating people's palates as to what is a, a good taco, what is a high-quality tortilla, what is you know what is the difference when you use you know, responsibly raised animals or heirloom produce or you know things like that in your in your cooking. And while the menu at BS Taqueria for the most part stays the same, aside from some seasonal tacos that come in and out, the menu at Broken Spanish changes much more frequently. Um, and I asked him. Why at one place over the other? Yeah, it, it changes a lot more at, at Broken Spanish for, for a number of reasons. But at the at the Taqueria, I think you know, it's one of those those places. It's it's open for lunch and it's open for, for dinner and it's kind of like that staple. You know, and, and you want to always be you know oh, I'm going back for the the, the taco because that's what I that's what I have for lunch. Or I'm going back for the the chorizo potato or the fish taco is the is the best. So we we try to keep. You know the the core six or seven tacos the same, and then we find opportunities to kind of rotate in seasonal seasonal tacos. You know, both restaurants are beautifully decorated. They're colorful. They're very welcoming and inviting, um, and they're also decorated very differently. So I asked Ray um, how he decided to decorate them and why he chose them to be different from each other. Well, I think when you when you look at at the taqueria, they get more. It, it, it closely matches the experience that, that you're going to have there, as far as you know, the the food and the drink. It's it's big, it's bold, it's bright, it's loud, it's it, it's spicy, and that's kind of what you what you get when you're when you're there with the 
with the you know the, the, the orange and the yellow popping out at you and the, the serape and, and everything else it kind of matches the, you know the, the small bar where they're shaking up a, a margarita for you and you know a, a taco that's you know spicy and and you're going back for for, for another drink you know the, the playful interpretation of the of the rice and beans that, that we do there i think all of those you, you kind of get an idea when you when you walk in the door it's like, Oh, okay. I think I know what I'm what I'm going to, to get, you know. And then when you look at at broken Spanish, like I do compare them as sort of siblings, as you know, the taqueria is that kind of that 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 louder, bolder, you know, younger personality of you know maybe your your, your little brother or, or sister, and, and you know how they express them themselves and, and and their views and their opinions. Like that's how the taqueria expresses itself through food and, and design. And then you come to uh, broken Spanish, and I think it's you know it, it's a bit more it's a bit more subtle. I think it's a bit more um, I, I don't want to say formal or conservative because I think a lot of times that seems a, a you know like there's a negative connotation you know to that. But it, you know it is it's a bit more of a, a mature experience. I mean, you get a chance to explore the craft cocktails a little bit more. We have a, a, a expansive wine list we have you know a larger menu that goes everything from you know small kind of snacky type bites to a whole fried fish that you're sharing with your your friends in a perfect world I, I would love for you to be able to have drinks at the taqueria and come to broken Spanish or dinner at broken Spanish go back to taqueria for churros and it doesn't feel like okay I'm back in the same restaurant or I had this right. I had a chorizo potato taco for lunch so I can't go to broken Spanish well, of course you can because the Chicharron is very different in an interpretation of that same pig that we use, you know, the, what we made the chorizo out of versus, you know, this, this crispy fried pork belly. Also, why wouldn't you just go twice in one? Yeah, <laughs> I do it, so you should, right? I asked the chef what drives him, what gets him up every morning and excited about going into the restaurant and making food um, when the hours are grueling and the stress is high, what keeps him going? It's just a built-in curiosity, you know, of, of you know, the, the next. I mean, I think one thing that's great about the, the restaurant business, and you know, it, it can tend to burn people out, but it's it may look like it's the same thing, but it's it's not the same thing every day. You have a new set of of, of guests that are that are coming in. You know, seasons are are changing. You know, you can look at the website and you see like a snapshot of, oh, this is what the this what what the restaurant is. But no, it's constantly changing. We're we're transitioning you know out of one dish and into another. We're protect we're perfecting a technique. We're getting inspiration from from somewhere else, and it's always always different. And so I think that that curiosity and that kind of need for for, for change and excitement and everything else is is what keeps me you know motivated and, and going. I work with wonderful people who are, who are very creative and hardworking in their in their own right so to be able to you know, bring you know take in some of some of their energy and some of their creative thought it, it keeps you know, me sharp and it keeps me interested and, and engaged and that's what I love about it and finally I asked the chef what his plans for the future are where he saw not only broken Spanish and be a sacaria but himself in the future. I think it's important to to make a, a plan and have you know, an idea of, of where where you want to go. Um, but I, you know, what I found is that never actually works out. And I didn't plan on opening a Broken Spanish in downtown LA. It was you know 
for 90% of the process was slated to be on the on the west side and then all of a sudden it changed. You know, I planned on having a taqueria a couple of years after Broken Spanish was open. I ended up opening up three months, you know, beforehand. So yeah, I think that I would love to see more taquerias. I think that's the, you know, maybe more of the, the, the growth vehicle for, for, for me and the, and the brand. Um, you know, we're, we're actively working on just making ourselves the, the best that we, that we can be day to day and, and I think just the important thing is to kind of stay flexible and and see what uh, you know, see what the, the, the future holds. I mean, when you ever you open up a restaurant and some people's favorite questions always like what's your what's your signature dish? What's the signature dish gonna be? It's like well it's gonna be whatever people buy and, and you had mentioned the, the bologna taco and I thought that was gonna be you know it was if it was very much a personal connection to to, to me and, and my mm -hmm. childhood, it was probably one of the first snacks I ended up cooking for myself is, you know, heat up a tortilla, take a cold piece of bologna, roll it up. Right. I could do that at, at eight years old. You know, I put it on the menu and it didn't connect with enough people to be the signature dish that I thought it was going to, to, to be. And, you know, so- I guess you have to be, I grew up as a bologna sandwich and a peanut butter and jelly kid. So if somebody made a peanut butter and jelly, like take on a taco or a bologna taco, in my head, I'd be like, oh yeah, that would totally work. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, it's, but not everybody has that experience. And so then you're like, baloney, why would, why would I ever put that on a... <laughs> it is one of the, one of the, the tricky things is you have to, you have to, I, I guess as a, as a chef or as a restaurant owner or any kind of creative type, is you have to find something or a way to, to satisfy your own creative needs and something that, that you feel comfortable serving, but you also have to have somebody buy it <laughs> you, know? right. so you, have to, yeah. you have to find that balance We're like okay well the guest wants this and I, I want to make this you know where do we where, where do we find that balance what is the what is, what is the chorizo and potato taco where it's like I love it and it's our number one selling taco it's like that's where we that's where we, we end up Broken Spanish is located at 1050 South Flower Street Los Angeles, California, 90015. And you can find them on Instagram as Broken Spanish and on Twitter as Broken Spanish LA. BS Taqueria is located at 514 7th Street in Los Angeles, California, 90014. Again, they're right around the corner from each other. BS Taqueria is on Instagram and Twitter as BS Taqueria. B-S-T-A-Q-U-E-R-I-A. And again, huge thanks to Chef Ray Garcia and his team for um, helping me set up the interview um, and letting me interview Chef Ray. So we've got an exciting Taco City announcement. Um, two things, actually. Uh, number one, we finally have Taco City merch. Um, I know a lot of you have been asking about Taco City stickers and hats and shirts and we've got everything set up. Um, you can actually go to the Taco City website and click on the link and it'll take you to the merch page uh, and you can order all sorts of Taco City stuff. Um, there's shirts to wear to your next taco crawl. Uh, there's hats, there's stickers. Um, I'm not selling any actual tacos in the store because those would be really gross by the time they got to you. Uh, but there's a lot of really cool stuff um, and it's a great way to rep Taco City podcast in your daily life. Um, so head over to the Taco City Pod website, um, tacocitypod.com, uh, and you can check all that stuff out. 
Also, Taco City now has a Patreon. We uh, just set up, really excited. There's a lot of very cool perks um, in the Patreon, including bonus stuff, um, access to the original music on Taco City, I'll design a custom taco crawl for you in your town or whatever town you choose. Um, you can even sit down and have tacos with me and talk tacos and podcasts and whatever you want to talk about. Um, so head over again to the website and you can find the Patreon link. Um, and there's all sorts of tiers and levels. Uh, that's tacocitypod.com. You'll find all the information on the front page. And we're really excited. Um, I feel like the Patreon is a way for me to get to know the listeners a little bit better. Um, we'll be doing Q&As every month for patrons. You can give me your personal list of taquerias that you love and um, who you want me to interview. And I'll try and reach out to those people. Um, so it's a great way for us to interact um, as a show and an audience. So head over to TacoCityPod.com for the new Patreon um, and all the new merch. And we'll see you guys next week. Taco City is created and produced by Rob Goki in association with Ali Sine Productions. It's also scored by Rob Goki. You can find Taco City on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Taco City Pod. And we'd love it if you'd leave us a review in the iTunes store. Uh, it's how new people can find the podcast. Uh, and it means a lot to us. So if you like us, leave us a five-star rating and a review. We'll be back next week with a new episode and a new taqueria. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.